Let us pray. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. Amen. We've been looking, we started last week, looking at the first of three pillars on which the whole of the Christian faith stands. And if you remove one of those pillars, you're not in the Christian faith anymore. Let's face it. Uh, Just like a stool, a three-legged stool stands on three legs. It can't stand on two. It becomes a crutch, but it can't be a stool that you can sit on and that'll hold weight, that'll hold you up. And so uh, these three pillars, first of all, last week we looked at the Bible as the divinely inspired word of God in which John Wesley in his uh, uh, sermon, The Character of a Methodist said, it must be our only rule, both of faith and of practice. That's number one. Everything flows forth from Scripture. Number two, what we're going to be looking at today, the necessity of the cross for salvation. And then I am going to work in, I don't know if it's going to be next week or the next, we're going to go ahead and look at how to study the Bible. Because uh, so many people, they look at Scripture, they're so confused. They don't know uh, how to even begin to glean what it says. And so I want to give you some tools next week for how to uh, just let the Bible just speak to you, how let the Lord speak to you through the Bible. It's not nearly as foreboding and difficult a thing as people want to make it be. Now then... Uh, as I said, these are the three pillars. And without these three pillars, if we can't agree on these three things, if we can't be of one accord, we cannot be in unity. And this is where the discord in the church comes from, is trying to discount one or two or all three of these things and then say, we're still the Christian church. Once you get rid of one of these, you're no longer in Christ. Once you get rid of one of these, you're no longer in the mainstream of Orthodox Christianity. And uh, uh, let's face it, there are those that assail and attack the Bible as God's word. There are those that just really find the cross repulsive. And, uh, And the thing is, you'll hear people say, Uh, Well, I just can't believe that a good God would cause his son to go to uh, death on a cross like that. Well, again, you go back to scripture and we see Jesus kneeling in the garden of Gethsemane. And we see him pleading and saying as he sweat drops of blood, Father, if there be any way. Let this pass, this cup pass from me. He got up from there and he went on to the cross at Gethsemane. The cross 
was one of the central points of Jesus coming into this world. The cross was the purpose why he came. He didn't come just to be a great teacher. He did help explain a lot of things, no doubt about it. But he had to come in order to die and then to be raised from the dead to bring the seal of our salvation. And so uh, the cross is the central point of the Christian faith. It was one of those things where Jesus, if there's any way he could have avoided it, he would have. Peter tried to talk him out of it. And you remember what Jesus said to Peter when he tried to talk him out of it? Get thee behind me, Satan. The cross was necessary. The reason why it becomes offensive is because we don't want to deal with what the cross dealt with. Now, uh, Paul talks about the wisdom of the wise. He says uh, that, uh, let's see, I want to find exactly, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So you'll hear all these wise people uh, say, well, you know, we don't, we're beyond slaughterhouse religion. We don't need that sort of stuff anymore. And if you feel that, that that's so, if that's where you are, that's fine. You have that right. This is a free country, but don't call yourself a Christian. Don't try to change the Christian faith. Don't try to uh, be like crabs in a barrel. You know, uh, crabs in a, bear, in, in a bucket, they're perishing. They are on their way to become a part of a crab boil, right? Have you ever, have, how many of y'all have been crabbing and put crabs in a bucket? Let's see your hands. Okay. Uh, you don't have to put a lid on that bucket, do you? You know why? Because the crabs keep each other in the bucket. As one tries, you'll see them just scramble on top of each other, trying to get out of that bucket, and one of them will grab a hold of the side of the bucket and start pulling himself or herself out. And then all these other crabs are saying, oh, I want to go too, boom, and pull the crab right down into the bucket again. Whenever those who are saying that the uh, cross is foolishness are saying that, Remember, they are in the process of perishing. They are lost. And that is why the cross is offensive. They are perishing. They love their sin. Or they think that they have found something better than God's way. And whenever you get into that, then you've gotten right back to the Garden of Eden, haven't you? Whenever you put yourself in the place of God... Uh, that's exactly what uh, Satan was trying to, was telling Adam and Eve that they could do. He told Eve, God doesn't want you to do that because he doesn't want you to be like him. If you eat of this fruit, then you'll be like God. Whenever you start trying to take the place of God, you're in a heap of trouble because you are at that point perishing. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then he goes and says, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise 
and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Whenever uh, Paul says that, he is quoting Isaiah 29. And uh, you may not be familiar with that part of that passage, but Jesus uh, quoted uh, at one point a pl- the, the part just right above it, the introductory part. And uh, that is where, uh, let's see if I can find where it says that. Let's see if I can find Isaiah 29, beginning with verse 13. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words or with their lips and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. And here's where Paul, what Paul quoted, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. And then it goes on, woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us? Or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. Whenever we start trying to take God's word and twist it or cast it aside, we wind up in a really bad spot, people. And it all points to the cross. The cross is the central focus of the Christian faith. You know, whenever I uh, uh, came to know the Lord, I started out at the place where I was one of these wise in the world. I thought I was one of these that said, well, I just can't believe that a good God would do this. You know, no, I don't think that you have to believe in the virgin birth in order to be a Christian. And I, I questioned everything. And let's face it, I learned how to do that in Sunday school in the United Methodist Church. I learned how to do this at Lakeview Assembly whenever I was led in a discussion where they said, do you really have to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin in order to be saved? And it was a tricky thing because then they turned it around and said, it's only the cross that's really important. And so, but you see, they twisted God's word. They took part of God's word. And we were taught to debate. Let's face it, in Sunday school way back when, uh, we spent most of our time talking about our feelings and how we felt about Scripture. But the thing is, God's Word is true, whether how, no matter how we feel about it. And we need, instead of arguing with it and holding God up to judgment, we need to let it speak to us. And it speaks the Word of the cross which is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But anyway, I was one of these people. And then what started to make a difference was I had read the Bible. I read the Bible looking for truth and his word does not come back void. And at one point, one night, a scripture came to mind. Unless you become as a little child, 
you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I understood basically what, what, what's being said there, what Jesus is saying there, is you got to put aside all your rationality. You got to put aside all your science and all this other stuff and come before me trusting as a little child. And once I did that, you see, because I thought, okay, so what he's saying is, well, I need to just take what he's already revealed of himself and walk in it and see if it proves to be true. And if it does, I've learned something and I've gained something. If not, I'll know this is just a dog eat dog world. There is no God and we'll just take it from there. But whenever I decided, okay, I'm going to take this stuff and try it and see what happens. All of a sudden, things just opened up like they never had before. And you know, it's very similar to what happened whenever Jesus came and uh, there was this, uh, this man, his little boy was ill. And uh, he said, uh, he basically, he said, if you, you do, do you, anyway, he asked him to heal his little boy. And he said, if, do you believe I can heal him? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And what I discovered was that deep down, I had belief. I believed. I believed I had a creator. I believed that I wasn't an accident. I believed that, uh, uh, that there was something going on in this world. And I, and I could see it being reflected in scripture. I believed all that, but what I had not wanted to come to grips with was the part about sin. And as I realized what the Bible said about the sin in my life, I realized I was lost and there was nothing I could do to undo anything in my life that I had done. I was an affront to a holy God. But you see, his word began to peel back the unbelief until I got to the point to where I realized that my only hope was the cross and I didn't know how to apply it. And so that's whatever I said, as I've told you before, I cried out, Jesus, help me. And he was right there with me. And he made it clear that the cross was what was missing from my life, as well as his lordship for living my life. And without those two things, we are perishing. So today we come to the cross and we say, if we have any doubts, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief as we look at the cross this morning. Because you see, without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no good news. There's simply no good news without the cross. Let's face it. Any attempt to preach the gospel minus the cross, which is becoming very, very popular these days, let's face it. Any effort to preach the gospel minus the cross is to offer people a placebo instead of the very medicine that they desperately need. And of course, if you give someone a placebo and they believe that it's really medicine, they're going to expect it to do them some good. But it's not. It's a sugar pill. And sugar pills don't replace the gospel. 
a sugar pill cannot replace the cross. But if we have not really explained to them the meaning and the purpose of the cross, then we have neither convinced them of their problem, nor have we been able to convey to them the biblical solution, which we have found to be true. All these people, I've heard these questions all my life. Well, how how could a loving God do this? How could a, a loving God do that? Well, first of all, there's more than one aspect to God. Just like you may have a loving husband, but he's also more things than just loving, isn't he? You may have a loving wife, but they're more than loving, aren't they? There's more than one dimension to God. Yes, he is love, but he is also holy. He is also just. He is a living God. So the question I'd like to ask you, first of all, how can God pardon sinners without encouraging sin? How can God pardon sinners without encouraging sin? Number two, how can he simultaneously show justice in person? I mean, justice in punishment, but mercy in pardoning. I'll repeat that one. How can he simultaneously show justice in punishment, but mercy in pardoning? How can he do that? Number three, how can he turn his enemies into his friends and bind them to himself in eternal love? How can he do that? How can he turn his enemies into his friends and bind them to himself in eternal love. And then finally, last question, how can he admit men and women into heaven without spoiling the holiness of heaven? How can he admit men and women into heaven without spoiling the holiness of heaven? Well, as you probably can see, the answer to each one of these questions is in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As foolish as it seems to those who are perishing, to those who are being saved, is the very power of God. We must, as the church of Christ, proclaim the cross. We must do so in order to explain its necessity, its meaning, and its consequences And we do that, and we must do that, so that two things can happen. First of all, we proclaim the cross of Jesus Christ so that God's people may constantly glory in it. We glory in the cross. Those of us who are being saved, we glory in the cross. The cross is not simply a point of entry into the kingdom of God that we go on and leave behind. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, take up your cross daily and follow me. The cross is a way of life. It's something we enter into and then we continue in the cross. We continue to glory, not in ourselves, not in our good works. We glory in our Savior and what he did for us on that cross. 
It's not something that's lost somewhere back there in our spiritual pilgrimage. And we move on from there. It's constantly before us. Instead, the cross has to be for the genuine believer, the ongoing and engaging dynamic of all Christian living. We are continually dying to self and living to Christ. The preaching of the cross is necessary for people of God in order that they might glory in the cross. That's the first aspect of it. And if you can't glory in the cross, then you haven't come to the cross. You haven't appropriated the cross. Because once you've discovered that his way is the right way and have entered into it, you can understand there is no other. But there's a second reason why we must proclaim the cross, and that is it's preached in order that unconverted sinners may be humbled by it and brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord's church to be one, the cross really has to be the central emphasis in our theology, in our preaching, in our worship, and in our witness. Without the cross, none of those are worth a hill of beans. Without the cross, there is no good news for us to share and really no basis for us to call ourselves Christian or a follower of Christ. And so we come to the place where we realize there is a cross. And Jesus thought it was so important that we remember it, that he, before he went to the cross, took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Where was his body broken? On the cross. On the On the cross. That's right. That's where his body was broken. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Where was his blood shed? On the cross. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we gather around his table this morning, glorying in the cross, glorying in the fact that though there was no way for us to have a connection with him. He made a way. And through the power of his cross, he has incorporated us into this one body we call the church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.